At Her Spirit, we're here for you. We want to help you discover your potential, achieve your goals, ignite your fitness, find your community. Head to herspirit.co.uk and sign up for our core membership. Get access to our virtual classes, monthly challenges, expert advice and track your progress in our health hub. You'll also find your very own cheerleading squad who will support you every step of the way. Use the code HERSPIRITPOD3 and get three months completely free. It's time for you. Hello and welcome to the Her Spirit podcast and this is our final review of the year and before we start I just want to say thank you so much to all of you who have listened, who have sent us messages, um, who've engaged with it, who've enjoyed our guests. Thank you to all our guests as well because Annie it has been a kind of little bit of a, it's kind of, it's been really important to me actually during these last few months to have this hour every week where I sit down with you, one of my bezies and have a chat with someone else. It's really genuinely um, supported me in the last few months. It, it absolutely has. I mean, you know, none of us really have, uh, has for, for none of us has it been life as, as normal. And this um, has been normal because we've done it every week and it's been so much fun. And, and as you rightly said, some amazing guests, some, some truly amazing guests, but it's been fun chatting with you. I mean, we were used to seeing one another uh, on the World Triathlon Series, on the BBC, you know, at least once a month, you know, catching up, chatting on, on our triathlon sofa. And we haven't had any of that because everything's been cancelled. But one thing that hasn't been cancelled is uh, the Her Spirit podcast, which has been amazing. I know it has been really tough. But I suppose looking back, the surprising thing, for example, in this little tiny podcast that we've made, is that change can be a good thing. And we didn't know that we didn't, we never imagined, did we? If you'd asked us a year ago that we would do this thing, which has actually been incredibly enjoyable, um, that we got over 100,000 downloads, um, you know, we never would have known that. And that never would have happened, would it? No, it wouldn't. Um, Can I say we're already on over 110,000 downloads now, Louise? Okay. Get you. I think on that note, one of my most favourite sayings is always believe that something wonderful is about to happen even oh. in in your worst sort of times, you know. And I guess, you know, the podcast set came at such a brilliant time for me. I mean, you know, you've had a tough year. Of course you've had, you, you've you've got teenage girls, you've, you know, at uni, here, there and everywhere. And I think that age group is very, very difficult. But for me, you know, I kind of, all the work, you know, in my, in the year I turned 50, I was getting really excited about this amazing year ahead. I, you know, we were going to the Olympics. We had Tokyo with the BBC, the World Triathlon Series. I'd be, would have been working on with you super league triathlon I had some great jobs set up there um just so so much exciting stuff happening and it and it went before my eyes you know as it did for so many people and I know that I'm very fortunate in lots of other ways but yeah but it's been a tough year and this has been a highlight so to to take something so so brilliant that the fact that we've inspired people I think Lou is brilliant and I don't I don't mean that patronizing it I mean that passionately that we have changed lives and you know along with our guests we've got people doing mm. things that they never thought that they would do yeah and long may that continue into 2021 I'm sure you look back at some of our our other favorite guests as well now you brought alongside um to us Maxine Peake who is a wonderful actor and I mean, I knew she didn't mince her words, but she is just fantastic. 
oh, wow, she is. And I've known Maxine Peake for years because she is uh, one of Charlotte, my twin sister's best friend. But we learned so much from her. I mean, I, I'd always known about her passion and her beliefs and how she stood for them and how she's never left her roots. You know, she is a phenomenal actress. Um, she suffered some very difficult times this year, which uh, for being a little bit, bit outspoken, but she's come through it. She was an amazing guest. And we found out so much more about her. One of the main things is she's a lot harder than we are on that bike, Lee. <laughs> yeah, she well, she she took up cycling age, I think a similar age to me, sort of 46 or something, didn't she? And she's out there grinding out the miles in the rain, which neither of us would do, would we? We're fair weather, we are fair weather cyclists. I don't mind running or swimming in the rain, cycling. No. no. And it's you, when you said to her, oh, you don't go out when it, when it rains. And she said, oh, yes, I do love. Sorry, Maxine, that was a terrible Northern accent. But, um, it was words to that effect. And it was like, we both kind of went a bit silent and went, oh, we don't go out for three hour bike rides in the rain. She said, oh, yeah, you wrap up warm and you have a cake. And the story, the Cornish pasty story, that was the best. Hopefully we'll listen to that one shortly about what do we and not what to eat on a bike ride yeah um i'm someone who genuinely had made an impact i know on so many of our listeners um was claire danson who was a you know she's a fantastic triathlete you know really going places in her sport and then had this horrific accident which has changed her life hasn't it annie and she was just you know it it was really sobering listening to her actually and, and listening to her story and the way she's dealt with what's happened to her it, um, for me, was the most amazing podcast that we've done. And the reason for that, Louise, was the fact that the day she agreed to talk to us was the one-year anniversary of her accident. Yeah. The bravery, you know, I know she has dark days. Uh, I know she has a tremendous amount of sport. You know, she's a great athlete. She's very bright. She's very driven. I truly believe that we are going to see a lot more of her, um, but just kind of breathtaking stuff. And really, I, I highly recommend that podcast to anyone listening who hasn't tuned in. Yeah, listen listen to it here now, and then you can go back and listen to the longer version um, if you want to as well. Now, something that was um, really um, important to me, actually, we spoke to Dr. Louise Newson, and she is a specialist in my other specialist subject, which is the menopause. And what has been brilliant about doing that podcast, actually, because there was it was packed with information, wasn't it? Is that I have people because I've talked about it on BBC Breakfast and how it was I had some really difficult times with it. And a lot of people come to me, you know, and say sort of see they're sort of like secret phone calls. They go, oh, I'm not going to say anything to my husband, but this, that, the other. And I just go, right, okay, go and listen to that podcast because there is so much information in it. So, uh, and, and and people have come back and have booked, you know, doctors off the back of it, um, you know, changed their lives around because of what she has to say. So if you're going through that thing, if you're, you know, in your early, early 40s, whatever it is, just go back and listen. You'll hear some now, but to, to her co- podcast would be completely fantastic for people. It's about um, informing us. And I think one thing that was brilliant, it was kind of like that Louise said that was really important was like, we don't just have to suffer this. You know, that's not living. You know, go out and do something about yeah. it. Find out the best the best course of treatment. It may not, not be HRT. It may be something else. Um, but like you, Louise, I was amazed at um, the response I got from friends. And one, a really lovely friend of mine who's in her early 50s, Canadian, very bright, um, career-driven, works really hard. She posted it round to all her friends and just said, listen to this. And the feedback we got was amazing. And again, 
you know, changing lives, you know, why suffer if you mm. don't have to? Um, and Louise was, wow. I mean, you know, just a mine of, of incredible information for all of us women out there. And as she rightly said, for men too, right? You know, because most men, yeah. you know, whether they're a brother, an uncle, a husband or whatever, a father, you know, also need to understand, you know, what women go through when, yeah. when they hit the menopause. I talk about changing lives. Um, Bryony Gordon, she writes for The Telegraph and I've followed her for ages. And she's also a, a mental health campaigner. Um, you know, she's an ambassador. She, she, she does all sorts of things for mental health, for example. And she had to make a change to her life. And the bottom line was because she was an addict. She was an alcoholic. And she wrote this book, uh, with, which is kind of not just warts, is it? It's everything, isn't it, Annie? It's your, your face. I wish you could see her face, everybody. You know, it's very, very searingly honest about what she went through and about her recovery. And I just thought listening to her, you know, was again a kind of an education. And also, you know, if people are in that kind of situation, um, really inspiring how to maybe get yourself out of it as well. If it helps one person, then it's an amazing thing. Her honesty, Louise, was utterly brutal, Mm. brilliant. Yeah, you couldn't believe it. And and I'm a sort of person that I think very little shocks me, but even, you know, not so much, not so much uh, on on the podcast. She was very, she was very open and and brilliantly honest. But her, I listened to her audio book and I was driving along the car going, oh, 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 that I didn't know what to make of that. Um, but brilliant. And, and, and people like her will, will change lives by making people who have similar problems because it's not totally uncommon, um, realize that there is help and you can get better. And that's exactly what Bryony's done. When I first went into, into, uh, treatment for alcoholism, which is what Glorious Rock Bottom's about, I really thought I was the worst mother in the world and the only mother in the world who behaved in the way I did. And, it very quickly became clear to me that I wasn't, you know, and alcoholism is, in, is is very common and it affects everyone. And it isn't just, you know, that, that kind of um, stereotype we have of sort of an old man on a bench with a, with a, with a, with a, you know, swigging from a bottle. And that, that is one way to be an alcoholic, but there are many other ways, you know, and, and, um, and I felt that the shame of it and the, the sort of isolation of it was it kept me in it and it made me really unwell and I, and if i'd known i think that there were more people out there like me doing the same things as me feeling the same things as me experiencing the same sort of traumas i guess as me i might have got sober far quicker but i didn't and that's fine um yeah. and i'm here to tell the tale and i'm very very lucky to be alive do you know what i mean it's that thing of like so, but I really wanted to, you know, some of the most shameful things I had done up or I'd experienced. It blew my mind that there were loads of other people out there who had experienced them too. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and it, you know, and it wasn't in a way it, it felt, it felt very, um, it felt outrageous. It felt freakish. It felt all of those things, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not anything out of the ordinary, actually. I'm another person who became ill, um, with a, with a legal drug that's sold on supermarket shelves, which, 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 you know, which hooks a lot of people in. So I just wanted, to, I really just wanted to get that down on paper and in the hope that it, it sounds very trite and cliched, but in the hope that it would help someone else. Oh, I mean, it, it 100% will, and, it, and I know it has. Um, there's so much to ask you. Um, so you talked about there, didn't you, about doing these things that I was doing. So what's 
and, and you know, the, the comparison between the old man and the park bench. So what is it, for people who've not read the book, that you were doing? So I, my drinking was very much, uh, I didn't drink every day and I didn't drink during the day, but it didn't really matter that I didn't do that because I thought about alcohol all day and, and, it, and it completely structured my life in a way. So if I had a big work thing on, say, a Tuesday morning, that meant I couldn't drink on a Monday evening, which meant I had to drink on a Sunday. Um, and I had all these rules that, that I felt made, put me in control of my drinking. So I didn't drink until my daughter was in bed. I didn't drink spirits. I didn't drink wine. You know, I mean, like I'd gone through all of those iterations of drinking. And I thought that that, uh, gave me some control over my drinking, but actually it was just a sign that my drinking was controlling me, you know? And, and I, you know, every time I drank, I couldn't, I don't know, it's like, it's really because my husband always used to say to me, why can't you just have one drink? And it, I'd be like, why can't you just fuck off? Sorry, I don't mean to swear. But it genuinely, it genuinely doesn't, like, compute for me having one drink. So, like, I can literally count on one hand the amount of times I went out and only had one drink. And I was, pro- it was probably because I was so unwell from the night before that I had that one drink. I could only have one drink. And, uh, you know, when I started drinking, that was that, you know, I drank until I blacked out. And very often that that happened in the garden. It happened in my sofa. You know, it wasn't it wasn't sort of like dramatic or anything like that. But the consequences were there in my head every morning when I woke up. And and also, you know, and occasionally what would happen was sorry, about probably about every three months I would go on these momentous benders Um uh, cocaine played a part in them. You know, I, I had a problem with that. And it was, you know, it, it was because, I mean, I don't know to anyone who's listening, they'll probably think, oh, it's just, it's, uh, you know, if you haven't taken it, cocaine basically, so, I mean, this isn't me, this isn't me trying to sell it or anyway, in a way, any way, shape or form, but it, it sobers you up and en- enables you to carry on drinking. So it's a real, like, it's a, it goes hand in hand with binge drinking and is, very commonplace in the UK you know we think of it as some sort of glam you know like it's only the kind of the rich and the famous who do it but it's everywhere you know as studies have shown it's sort of in the water <laughs> because that's how many people take it and it's cheaper than a cup of coffee buying a cup of coffee kind of thing and it really that took me to some really seedy places because cocaine does do you know what I mean so it sobers you up allows you to carry on drinking but then it takes you to a sort of a much darker place where CD, sexual, you know, and, and so that brought me in quicker. And I, you know, I ended up in situations that were really not safe. You know, I was, I was, I was assaulted by, uh, by someone while I was at a, a friend's 40th birthday. And, and I say assaulted, but it is still that word still, I struggle with that word because, you know, I basically allowed it. I kind of came to and it was happening and I, allowed it to ha- carry on happening because he'd been giving me cocaine all night you know and it was this it was these really dark places that as a then 37 year old mother <laughs> I shouldn't be finding myself in so you know it was yeah that, that those were my sort of rock bottoms really at her spirit we know how powerful women can be We love your strength, your determination, your compassion. We love the energy that sparks when we connect and spur each other on. 
Her spirit was created to ignite that flame of determination, to unleash your energy, to build your self-belief and to help every woman find a way to your healthiest mind, body and soul yet. We want to inspire one million women just like you to be active, healthy and happy because you deserve it. Head to herspirit.co.uk, join our core membership and use the code HERSPIRITPOD3 to get three months completely free. Join our monthly challenges, get access to the Her Spirit Health Hub and track your activity levels, mood, food, sleep and stress every single week with your own personalised dashboard. Get expert advice and join daily live classes that can be played back at any time. Plus... Find the support that you need to get started and stay motivated. Just sign up at herspirit.co.uk and use the code HERSPIRITPOD3 to get three months completely free. It's time for you. And you do describe, and I think Annie and I were both kind of taken aback um, at that when you write that in the book you do describe that and I think you talked about your soul seeping out which you know <sighs> briny gosh um was was that rock bottom or there was there a sort of series of rock bottom yeah I mean <laughs> yeah and there's there's always and there's always another rock bottom if you want if you allow it do you know what I mean like I'm under no oh, so if, you ca- if you carried on yeah and also you know it's important to say that a lot of those a lot of those things weren't you know, worse things had happened in the past when I was drinking and drugging. Um, but it was like, so when I try and work out why it was that I decided I had to stop then, it was kind of like, I talk about my rock bottom, really. We can talk about all these like shocking moments where we're like, we have, I have to change and there's a light bulb moment. But what I say in the book is actually, it's a million little moments that all lead up to that rock bottom. And for me, it was like my self-esteem was non-existent like I had been hollowed out by self-loathing and I knew that if I carried on well I didn't know that I would I would survive so I thought if I carried on drinking I was going to die I was either going to die by choosing to kill myself which was something that had crossed my mind several on several occasions or I was going to die by accidentally choking on my own vomit or falling down some stairs or whatever you know these we hear about these things or worst of all I was going to die by continuing to live in this like groundhog day existence of shame and uh, I knew it had to change I didn't know how it was going to change because you know the moment I can see myself that day when I knew I had to stop sitting on my bed and I was like um I know I can't drink again, but I have no idea how I'm going to manage to not drink again. Like I, 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 I couldn't imagine a life without alcohol, but I knew I had to somehow make it happen. So, you know, it was weird. And, it, and there were lots of things that precipitated it because I had, I was very high, you know, like we talk about high functioning alcoholic and really, I think that's just an alcoholic who hasn't been found out yet. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that's all it is. It's not, it's, and, and I was, I was like, the year I got sober, it was like the things that led up to it were, I'd, I'd like signed up to do a marathon, right? And I was like, that's going to stop me from drinking. Do you know what I mean? I was like, you know, this is something I hear quite a lot with other sober women. They're like, we'll go on a yoga retreat. I'll go on, you know, I'll do this, I'll do that. I'll, you know, that'll stop me. And, you know, it didn't actually to put it bluntly in fact if anything my drinking ramped up a bit obviously I stopped running for the duration of the marathon (laughs) stopped drinking for the duration of running the marathon 
But like I, you know, I was like, I would go on a training run and then I'd be like, right, let's go to the pub. And my husband would be like, you can't drink a pint for every mile that you've run. And I'd be like, oh, contraire. You know, of course I can. And honestly, guys, I don't know how I survived that. Do you know what I mean? Let alone, but it also, what it did was it also showed me that there was this other way of living. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Whereby you could get up and go for a run and you could your your focus in life didn't have to be purely on drinking do you know what I mean and um yeah. and that was like oh it was quite ta- you know it was I was starting to, to sort of see these other ways of living and these other healthier ways of living and meet these people who it, and so it and so it all kind of you know it's I don't think it's any coincidence that it all happened in the same year so that was a Brani Gordon uh, being searingly honest with myself and Annie. And then, as we said at the beginning of this review, Claire Danson really made an impact on the pair of us. And I'm sure she will have an impact on you as well. Let's listen to her story. She's such an incredible woman. But what she's gone through, none of us can begin to imagine. You know, she was at the time in her life where she'd kind of found real happiness. And she had just won a medal, uh, European Championships, a gold medal for the age group team, 30 to 34, still a very young athlete, went on to have an exceptional uh, race in London triathlon. Um, she'd just got a boyfriend, everything was wonderful. And, um, and then the accident happened. Yeah, she had a life-changing accident, which we will hear about um, in the podcast and the impact on her. And I guess also, you know, really poignant that we recorded this podcast one year, the one year anniversary um, from the day that she had that accident. She's Claire Dadson. You're right. It was exactly a year ago today. Um, I went out on my bike, which I did most days, to be honest, Um, took a route, which I also took most days because the start going out from my house is the same. Um, wherever I chose to go, I'd always go that way. I came around a corner and unfortunately, as I came around, a tractor came around in the other direction and we collided. And I, I don't, I don't remember a lot of it, but, um, the kind of outcome was I ended up, uh, in intensive care, um, really very seriously ill, um, or injured, I guess rather than ill, um, I had broke most things in my upper body, to be honest with you. I broke both shoulders, wrists, arms. All of my ribs got broken. Um, I had a fracture in my jaw. Um, and then obviously the real life-changing injuries was I broke my back, uh, which severed my spinal cord um, um, at T... Well, they told me it was severed at T9, but I've been classified as T5 from all the tests and things. And But I was... there's. I always, when I think about what happened to me, and actually when I was thinking, I was sort of thinking earlier, um, and actually the more people fill in the gaps of what happened, the more I realise how incredibly lucky I actually was. You know, the obvious thing is the fact I survived was incredible um, and and really came down to a series of, whilst the accident itself was very unfortunate, a series of very fortunate events around the accident um there was someone you knew very mm. came round the corner or something is that what happened yes yeah so it was actually um somebody who I've known since I was a baby um best friends with his daughter for a very long time um happened to be going that way um and he was the first person other than obviously the tractor driver and there was one other gentleman he was the first person there and he's a retired anaesthetist so he was able to ring up and say do not send a land ambulance she needs an air ambulance and I think without that air ambulance 
very little chance that I would have survived what happened to me. So I feel incredibly fortunate for that. And then the second exceptionally fortunate thing for me was I did actually break my neck as well, but there was no sever there. And I was told that the break in my neck was identical to the one in my spine, apart from it hadn't displaced. And obviously the higher up, so I don't know if people know, but the higher up that your cord is is injured, the less mobility you have. Yeah. So had I broken my neck, I might not have they have use of my hands and my arms, um, which which I feel incredibly fortunate to have. Um, and for your family, I know you've talked a little bit about this as well. I mean, you know, what a devastating mm. day for them as much as anything as well. Yeah. Day and, and weeks, et cetera. Yeah. To yeah. Know what, you know, someone they love so much that this has happened to. I mean, my family, just incredible. I am so blessed with them. It's amazing what you do in moments like that, isn't it? I actually... Mm. When the tractor driver, I actually gave my phone number, my parents' number to the tractor driver. And because it was down the road, they were there within five minutes before the ambulance was there. <gasps> I know. I mean, I, one thing that there is a big part of me that thinks, why on earth did I do that? Obviously, I don't remember it. Um, but so, I mean. Because you wanted your mum and dad Well, there. yeah, you're right. And actually, then there's a part of me that thinks, well, maybe them being there actually, again, helped me to, to you know, carry on as it were. Yeah. They were there. And then by the time we got to the hospital, my sister and brother-in-law were already there waiting um, and obviously then very soon after that, my, my brother and sister-in-law also arrived, but they had a bit further to go. Yeah. Um, and they were there the whole time and they stayed. Um, just incredible family support. We, we know you were in the hospital for, for a long time, but just talk us through that and what's what's happened the last 12 months in terms of where you've been. Yeah, OK, so um, I spent three weeks in intensive care and then I transferred to um, a general spinal ward in Southampton Hospital. Um, again, both places incredible, um, helping me to, you know, just really first of all stay alive and then get used to the new situation um and then from there I was transferred to the Duke of Cornwall spinal unit um in Salisbury where I effectively had to relearn how to how to do everything um so when I arrived there I couldn't really do anything for myself and I spent five or six months there um yeah, I think about six months. Sorry. <laughs> um, but um, You work things out like yeah. I do by speaking them. <laughs> yeah, and using my fingers. And as a teacher, yes. you know, using my fingers, I should not need to, but yeah, that's what your fingers are there for. <laughs> I'm very encouraging with fingers. Um, anyway, yeah. Um, so yes, um, at the Spinal Week, you, you relearn everything um, and you sort of also start to realise that life will be different. There's There's that element when you're just newly injured that actually you're just trying to survive um and mm. then it almost kind of re-hits that actually now you're going to have to learn how to live with this it's not something that will get better um and I think as an athlete you know having injuries and having things there's always that oh well, it'll be fine I'll get better I'm going to come back from this but obviously this is something where there, there isn't a you'll get back to where you were um it is very much a well this is what there is and now it's up to me to get the most that I possibly can from what I have, if that makes sense. Um, can I ask you, um, I read that you said really early on, um, you said to your, was it to your sister, to Alex, was it you said you want para-athlete? Did you write that? Did you say, you are incredible. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it was basically the second thing that I said. I think the first thing was sorry. Um, oh, and anyone you speak to that knows me knows that's, I, I apologise a lot anyway, but yeah. I think very early on I felt awful because I knew that everyone would be feeling so worried um so the first thing I think I wrote was sorry 
And then the second thing was para-athlete. Um, when I say right, so when I was in hospital, I was on a ventilator um, and you can't talk when you're on a ventilator. So they give you like a board with letters on that you can point to. But actually, I couldn't move my hands or my arms at that point. So what we did was a family member would go through the letters and oh I'd squeeze gosh. a finger when they got to the right one. I mean, it must have been painful for them because it must have taken forever. Um, uh, but they were patient. And, and apparently they were really worried because they thought they weren't very good at it and I was getting frustrated. But I wasn't. Um, so <sighs> it was quite a, a difficult way to communicate. So, yeah, no, the second thing I spelled out on the board was para-athlete. Um, and I, have I a can't very... even spell athlete in the best of times. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a very... That's one thing that... A, a couple of things were really clear in my mind when I was in... Mm. When I was lying there and... One was probably actually the most, the clearest one was I must have my arms because if I don't have my arms, then I can't do sport. Um, and the other thing that I did was typed out a name of someone we knew, um, Sophie Wallace, um, typed out her name and, and my family knew that she was a hand surgeon. She was someone I knew. And Alex kind of worked out that I was, what I was getting at was I wanted them to check out the surgeon that they were going to give me was good enough to fix my arm <laughs> so that I'd be able to do it. And she was like, you want me to do that? I was like, yeah, ask Sophie. And so they did. And of course, Sophie knew Mr. Phillips, who is absolutely incredible, did my surgeries. Um, you really knew, knew him really well. They had a chat. I'm like, yeah, no, don't worry. He'll be fine. Um, but he, just another incredible person in my in my recovery, has fixed fixed me brilliantly, has just been the kindest person, was saying to my parents, don't worry, she'll be going fast again. I think they had a minor heart attack when he told them that. They'd be quite happy um, for me not to be doing that. But no, it was really clear in my mind that I I needed my arms. Um, I needed them to be okay. I wonder in terms of sort of like the, the experts out there that have dealt with the kind of injuries that you had at that moment that they were dealing with, that you were there trying to spell out the fact that you had um, no desire to stop doing sport and you were also telling them what you wanted and you wanted a good consultant and you wanted a future in sport. I mean, really, I mean, I, I knew I was going to love chatting to you today because, you know, you're, you, you are an, such an incredibly strong woman, but the power of the mind, you know, because a a lot of people, rightly so, could have had been lying there just going, do you know what, I, I don't care, and just give up. And there you were, you know, virtually on your deathbed saying, right, what, I want the best consultant in the best way you can put it forward. I mean, <laughs> A little bit cheeky, know, really, isn't it? Not <laughs> no, at all. No way. No way, Claire. <laughs> Um, but the one thing I, I would say is like, you know, talking about the power of the mind. So and you wanting to carry on and do sport four and a half months later. I mean, what is the chance of someone with your injuries pushing themselves around a 5K, which is exactly what you did four and a half months later? I mean, wow. I mean, I think for me, it was just a case of as soon as I can get back doing something, I will. Um, I mean, it was exceptionally slow. <laughs> irrelevant, irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, but it, it, it was a case of I needed to get back to the thing I loved and it reminded me of everything that I love about sport how do you you know stay so positive Claire because it is not easy yes um you're right it's not easy um I think it's about just carrying on and that sounds really daft but I I'm I am very lucky I have incredible people around me I'd say that's for me, that is number one. I have got the most incredible friends and the most incredible family and they do help me when I need it and they'll they'll visit and we'll go and do things. So that makes a big difference. I also think 
there are times where I am still, I get very down, um, or not very down, just incredibly sad. There are times when I think, oh, it's really tough, it's really difficult, and I have a cry, and then I have to carry on with my day. There's no point in sitting around crying because I have to work, or I want to go and ride my bike, or I'm going to go and swim. So actually, it's almost not time. <laughs> we sound daft, um, but I've built my life back up in such a way that then actually it's it's not that different from before, other than, like my brother says, you're sat down all the time. Um, so I think that helps. Um, can I ask you, so the, it sounds to me like the ambition is to be in the para-triathlete team. Is that it? How exciting? <laughs> I mean, I would love to. Um, I mean, there's plenty like... of teams you could be in, aren't there? <laughs> I, think, I think that would be, to do, do para-sports at that level would be, phenomenal yeah at, at this point in time I don't know what I'm capable of um like obviously I went yesterday and I'm way off the pace um but but if if it's possible and I can improve enough then that would be obviously like a massive goal um and yeah. I would love to and I would yeah I'll, I'll obviously do my best to improve and get better but one thing I've learned and I was very set before on on trying to trying to go professional at at long distance racing, so at half Ironman and Ironman. One mm. thing that this has taught me is that even if I don't achieve that goal, think of the, like the amazing times I can have anyway, just trying to do that. Um, you know, I go and I swim now and I go to the lakes and it's more difficult because it's all a bit more of a process getting my wetsuit on and getting there and things. But man, is it worth it? I just love it. I, I really do defy anyone who's having a bit, a bit of an average day to to uh, to come out of that and not feel deeply inspired. Uh, Maxine Peake, she has been one of our absolute favourites and a revelation. We had no idea that um, she was such a brilliant cyclist or the fact that she's going to do a triathlon with you soon, Lou. Let's hope so. Let's take a listen. One of the most amazing plays I've been to was one that you wrote and just to sort of paint the picture Pav your lovely long-term partner gave you the autobiography of Beryl Burton and for anyone who doesn't know Beryl Burton in 1967 she set the world record for 12 hours she cycled 277 miles in 12 hours um, beating the male's record. Now, you didn't know anything about her and you read the autobiography and you would safely say yourself, you are a feminist. And you just went, hang on a minute. How come I don't know about this woman? And that's what led you on to, to write the radio play. And then it became theatre. It was absolutely yeah. brilliant, Maxine. T- tell us more oh, about that, that, that time. Yeah, so Pav got me this book and he said, you know, there's a little message in saying, get yourself a curly perm because Beryl had this very tight, sort of short curly hair. There's a part in this for you. And I went, God, this would make a brilliant film. But trying to get a film off the ground <laughs> in, in this country is pretty hard and trying to get funding, and especially at that time. Maxine... I didn't know. I didn't know until um, we were doing this um, podcast with you that you'd done a play about her. Because, like you, I went went to Leeds. I think it was bound when the Grand Depart was in Leeds, and somebody told me about Beryl, and I just, you know, she was absolutely staggering, ahead of the time, ahead of our time, even um, in so many ways. So just give us a bit more. So we know she did these world records, but she was so kind of like down to earth, and you know, in a sport which was. 99.9% 99.9% male dominated and just yeah. extraordinary, wasn't she? 
Well, what happened was I, when Pav had sort of got me the book and I thought, oh, this is going to be about, so it's 50s, 60s when she was sort of, a, you know, starting out, you know, when I mean, she was the height of a sort of success in the 60s, although she continued on into her 40s, you know. And I thought, this is going to be about a woman struggling with a husband who's, you know, telling her to get back in the kitchen. All those stereotypes I had in my head. And then I read this book and Beryl and her partner, Charlie Burton, and Charlie's still alive. And Charlie basically was introduced her to cycling, realised she had a talent and went, you go and do it. And he was like a soigneur, you know, he looked, he serviced a bike, he, 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 he was a trainer, he was everything rolled into one. And encouraged her. And actually, at that time, from what I can gather, the whole male cycling fraternity, there was, it, I could be mistaken, but it didn't feel, because they just respected her as this, um, you know, spectacular athlete. She did it her own way. She would she picked rhubarb as a daily job to with a guy called Nim Carlin, who used to train her as well. But for strength, you know, she was this, she was focused, but she always kept, she was amateur. She didn't become professional because she didn't want to be told what to do or what races she could, you know, participate in. You know, we're talking steel frame bike, you know, all this amazing technology we've got now, diets, trainers, she still held that record till recently. So did she, I think she died on her bike, did she? Had she did, she, yeah. she was delivering a birth, it was a 15, she was 59, was it 15, 59? She was delivering invitations for her birthday. So she oh. wasn't even competing. Oh. And she collapsed and somebody found her in the road. And it's such a, a poetic ending in a way, a heartbreaking ending, but to this amazing life. It always makes me get quite emotional to think that that's how she went. So, so Maxine, when's the film coming out? So you've got a well, script, we've got, you? we've got, we've, we're looking now, I mean, of course, I don't know. Sometimes she do, I get in trouble, I'm not supposed to say anything. But we're looking, we're just, we've got the script. Can we put a bid in for me and Annie to be like extras? Please, please. <laughs> wouldn't that be Definitely. amazing? Definitely. We'd have to, wouldn't well, we? Yeah, and sort of, yeah. And can you train me as well? Because I've just joined a cycling club, which I should have done years ago. I mean, at the age of 46, I'm now, which I'm loving. But I wow. wish, why didn't, I was too scared before. I thought, oh, it'll be really elitist and it'll be, and and it's brilliant. Well, who have you I'm joined? Who have you joined? Well, I've joined Rafa in Manchester because a friend of mine's husband, pa- partner, um, his, Les is called, and she said, oh, Les will take you out on a few rides. Les is in Rafa. And I thought, oh, isn't Rafa? It's quite swanky and they've got all that fancy gear. <laughs> they've got such nice gear. Go they've on. got lovely gear. <laughs> Um, there is other gear available, but there is other gear available. <laughs> but I, so I join, and it's been brilliant going out on the early morning ride. You know, meeting at half seven, going doing three, you know, two or three hours, and then on a Saturday going out for four or five hours. I did the women's one hundred, one hundred k. Uh, you know, um, it's I'd, I've loved it, and it's it is that camaraderie, and you know, and everyone's a lot. <laughs> the, all the women are a lot younger than me, young women, and they're brilliant. They're just so supportive when I'm at the back going, don't worry about me, I'll be fine, you know. And everybody's like, no. I'm actually like, so excited yeah. for you. Um, <laughs> and and did you, I mean, did you have a, a, a bike before? Did you cycle before? I always before? had a bike. I've always got a boat on right. a bike. But an hour cycling for me was, oh, I've done a good cycle. Now I realise that that's just a warm-up, you know. <laughs> it's like, what? what was I thinking? Yeah, you've answered Michelle, lots of questions yeah. from people because Michelle, for, who's our cycling lead, was asking how you got into cycling. So, so I suppose. So your first bike was when you were young, was it then? Yeah, I had a. You know, I think the sort of 
yeah, I'd always had bikes. My, I remember my granddad taught me how to, to um, it was my granddad Jim, who was amazing. He taught me how to ride a bike. And then I always had bikes. And then when I was, a t- you know, in my, I think, I always remember when my mum and dad, <laughs> my mum and dad divorced, blackmailing my dad into buying me a BMX. So I, I loved my BMX because I wanted to be a bit of a tomboy. I was like a tomboy, but too soft. You know, I was, <laughs> I'd get up a tree and then couldn't get down it. You know what I mean? I was one of those. I'd start to cry and go, get something, get me more. <laughs> um, so I just quite, yeah. But so I had a BMX and then I had a mountain bike, but I never had a racer till probably 10 years ago. But going into work, commuting when I'm at the theatre, but it was about, for me, it was about freedom as a kid because, we, you know, single parent family, there wasn't a lot of money. If I wanted to go anywhere, it was get on your bike and you go. And it was, yeah. I loved it. it I al- I've always had a bike and just used it for getting around, but never for proper, you know, proper cycling. Talking about, you know, being a strong person, being a strong woman, um, I'd like to just touch on the radio play for Miners Wives that, that you wrote. You felt there was, you know, a lack of sort of women's you know, interesting stuff going on there. And and this play, you said it's about ordinary women doing extraordinary things. Yeah, which I think women are extraordinary. We are, I, I, I'm going to get accused of it, but we are an extraordinary species. You know what I mean? What we do and, you know, and we don't, we're not celebrated enough and we don't celebrate ourselves enough. But for me, it was these four women led by Anne Scargill, who was then Arthur Scargill's wife, you know, and for me, the minor strike was a big, you know, we nearly we were nearly on the brink of civil war. It was a huge, you know, a huge event in British political history. The miners took on, you know, took on Thatcher, you know, whatever. But for me, it was the women that were the backbone of that strike. The women stuck by the men. The women made huge sacrifices. They enabled, as a lot of women do, enable the men to be at the front, gaining all the glory, when really usually at the back there's a woman sort of doing, you know, supporting and and sacrificing for that. And for me, this is what it was about. And Anne Scargill and these uh, three other women had decided to occupy Parkside Colliery, which is just, just up the road near me, sort of going towards Lee and Wigan. I don't know, I'm pointing up there, but I know it's up there. <laughs> um, and they, uh, they'd had no plan. They just heard they were doing educational tours. So they went down pretending to be teachers. Um, and then when they said, right, ladies, when they showed them around the pit, they went, get back in the cage, the cage that takes them down. And they said, no, we're occupying your pit. And they ran off. And they spent five days and four nights with nothing. It's freezing. It was freezing down there. I think they had a bottle of water and some chewing gum between them. You know what I mean? And they survived and they, you know, just... And I went to meet Anne Scargill because when I'd written Beryl, Justine said to me, what other stories have you got? I said, well, to be honest, I've had this story for years. I remember it happening. I went, I'd love to write about this. So she said, let's do it. So we got in touch with Anne. We went to meet Anne and I thought, oh, it's going to be quite upsetting this and these women in the struggle. For five hours, we laughed and laughed and laughed. And I thought, this is what we don't see in drama you know, TV, film, theatre, is the camaraderie of women and the fact that laughter gets us through. It's the survival technique, the survival, you know, kicks in. And these, and Anne always says, well, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. 
and it turned into be a comedy and it was just most of it was sort of verbatim they told me what happened and I just you know wrote it and pieced it together into a structure but they were hilarious and this this and people said oh they must have fallen out people wanted this big bust up you know four women don't and no they had a great time there's little you know little disagreements and but I think that's what people always think. If you get a group of women together, they'll all start scratching each other's eyes out in five minutes. That's the male point of view of That's such a cliche, women. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so I, I... And I just got on this thing about going, finding female stories. There's, you know, millions of amazing women out there that you think, gosh, if, they, if this was a man who'd achieve what they'd achieve, we'd never hear the last of it. Can we just go back to cycling? Because I'm... Um... You know, I'm a bit like you. I'm very... Annie is a brilliant cyclist and has cycled for years. I'm, I'm a bit like you. I think I took up cycling seriously about the same age that you did. Um, and I think for people who are listening, um, or at least I found, it was it was scary. You know, because I was a bit like you. I, I had a bike um, in London where I used to commute to work, a kind of little, you know, I don't know, like a hybrid bike or whatever, and then moved to road bike. And it was really scary. Um, and it was quite intimidating. So what's your advice for people who are thinking, oh, I think I might try a bit of that? Just, that's the thing, is just try it. Just go along. I think just join a club. Um, I mean, do a bit of research. I mean, I did try joining a few clubs and nobody ever got back to me. And then, but it How was... How did they not get back to you, Maxine? I don't, I don't know. Maybe they thought I was taking the mickey. You know, sort of emailing going, I'm really interested in you. But I, I think it's it's like anything. It, it's I always say it's just... A, it's a, I've never done a bungee jump, but it's just that thing of going, just stand, just what is... I said to a friend the other day, I said, is anything ever worse than you imagine it to be? When you think, oh, God, it's... Oh, I don't really want to. Oh, I don't think I should. I'm a bit nervous about that. I said, have you ever done anything that you felt like that about that's been worse than the expectation and it never is but it's it's you know if it's and if it's not a decent club you know if they're not looking after you then it's a it's a terrible club but it is and it's joining I you know I go on the social rides I look at some rides I got under no circumstances I mean that (laughs) will be something I'd aim towards but I think just get out there you know, and do it and get in with a group of people because the, the encouragement and it's riding in a group, isn't it, makes a difference. Do your rides include cake? Oh, oh God, yeah. Oh, when, I, when I did the Women's 100, I made a foolish mistake of having a cheese and onion pasta halfway around. <laughs> did and not go, go well? I was going up a big, we were going up a big hill near Alderley Edge. I think it's called Artist Lane. And I got halfway up and I, I thought, I don't feel very well at all I don't know and Pav said to me why did you have a cheese and onion pasta I said because I just thought I could and the fact is because you burn more calories than you can ever even I can ever consume and then I got to the top and then the ride leader gave me one of those like gels you know sort of gels yeah so I rode back to Manchester with cheese and onion pasta and a sugary gel that wasn't so my advice is don't have a cheese and onion pasta but coffee and cake on a more civilized oh yeah that's the only attraction to it i'm a a bit like where's the coffee stop that's where that's where i'm at (laughs) annie i've heard since our podcast with the lovely maxine peak and i did talk to her about perhaps going swimming with her in salford keys she has actually taken up swimming i think even is it open water swimming mel yes 
Isn't that brilliant? So fingers crossed next year, if we are ever allowed to go and do any competing, maybe I can go and do a little race with Maxime, which would be lovely. Um, Our final um, guest in our review of the year, and just a reminder, you can, of course, go and listen to their full podcast if you go back and look through through all the Her Spirit podcasts, um, is Dr. Louise Newson. Um, She's got so much information. And it's just, I said said at the beginning of this podcast for women in their 40s, it's not really, everybody should have a little listen um, to her and about how menopause can affect you and actually that there is a way out. The menopause is such a taboo, isn't it? And it shouldn't be because I've already said it affects all women directly and you could argue indirectly all men uh, because they all will know a woman at some stage of their lives. But if you break down the word menopause, meno is just menstrual cycle, pause is stop. So it basically means our periods stop. And what happens to most of us as we get older is that our ovaries stop producing eggs. And because they stop producing eggs, the hormones decline naturally as well. Um, you can't actually make the official diagnosis of being menopausal until you've had a year without your periods, which is a sort of retrospective look back in time diagnosis, which is quite frustrating for many of us whose periods are just generally becoming a bit less frequent. So before this time, people often experience menopausal symptoms, but they're still getting periods which often change in nature or frequency. And then we call that the perimenopause. So peri just means around the time of. So the average age of the menopause in the UK is 51, but women experience these perimenopausal symptoms for years, sometimes a decade before their periods stop. So, you know, Louise, you classic sort of not saying anyone's average, but, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's, <laughs> um, a lot of women experience symptoms in their mid 40s, as indeed I did. And even as a menopause specialist, I thought my symptoms were because I was working too hard. Uh, paradoctically I was setting up my website menopausedoctor.co.uk and I was also spending a lot of time lecturing healthcare professionals and I'm standing there on podiums saying to other doctors and nurses you must remember it's not all about hot flushes and sweats it can be about mood swings it can be about fatigue it can be about memory problems joint pains muscles aches worsening migraines and I actually was getting all these symptoms but I thought it was because I was working too hard you know it's ridiculous we're not prepared for it but Also, one in 100 women under the age of 40 have an early menopause. And sometimes, again, it can be natural. We're only um, born with a certain number of eggs. And so if we have less eggs, obviously they run out a bit quicker. So women can have an early menopause. But also, a lot of women have um, cancers. And cancers can uh, damage, the treatment for cancers can damage ovaries. So such as radiotherapy, chemotherapy, or a lot of women have their ovaries removed also for non-cancer reasons. So um, one in 100 women under the age of 40 will have an early menopause, one in 1,000 under the age of 30. So there's a lot of young women out there who are having menopausal symptoms. Some of them will be perimenopausal symptoms. So it's vitally important that we all know about it so we can be prepared. But the menopause is not just about symptoms. So the main hormone, estrogen, um, that we have in our bodies, but we also have testosterone, um, affects every single cell in our bodies. So you can imagine that every single cell in our body could potentially react and respond to not having the hormones. But beyond this, which is the reason that I'm so interested in the menopause, is that there are health risks when we don't have our hormones So evolutionary, if you like, we are designed to reproduce and then fade away. We're not designed to live until we're in our 80s without hormones. So most women have 30 odd years without hormones. 
And without the hormones, there's this increased risk of diseases, really important diseases, such as heart disease, type 2 diabetes, osteoporosis, dementia, depression, even obesity increases when we don't have hormones in our bodies. So for me as a physician, I don't really want to be seeing unhealthy people. We want to be as healthy as possible. And with having without having our hormones we're at a disadvantage and so it's really important that we know that menopause is a long-term hormone deficiency it's not just a group of symptoms that makes us miserable for a short period of time Mm. i mean it's it is it's this is a fascinating conversation and you know hopefully it's going to inform a lot of women on things that they just didn't get and i think a point you've made there louise about the fact that you're potentially living you know 30 35 40 years post menopause actually in 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 a way that you're not supposed to without these hormones but the big the biggest question here and i guess the biggest debate and i have a um, a, a big sister she's a couple of years older than me she said, no, no no i'm not interested in hrt and she's actually she's doing brilliantly but that's not quite the point is it it's how we want to live our life post menopause and I think a lot of stigma is attached to HRT because people say oh no I can't take that it'll give me breast cancer it'll do this it'll do that but that is the risks are very low and what you're saying Louise and I think this is really important is that the other risks are perhaps worse than the potential risk of taking HRT Yeah, I mean, it'd be good to spend a bit of time talking about HRT because it causes a lot of confusion, not just to women, but to healthcare professionals as well. And it's only three letters, hormone replacement therapy. There are different doses, there are different types, there are different formulations. All we do is... um, replace the missing hormones so if someone's perimenopausal they just need a top up if their hormones have gone or certainly if their ovaries have gone then they need a lot more sort of slightly higher doses the most important hormone i've already mentioned is estrogen now estrogen is actually very good and incredibly safe so we replace with estrogen to improve symptoms but also women who take estrogen have a lower risk of all these diseases i've mentioned So, for example, a risk of a heart attack halves by a woman who takes HRT. Um, Now, we also know that if a woman's had a hysterectomy, she doesn't need a progesterone. She just has estrogen and possibly testosterone as well. But if she has estrogen without a progesterone, she actually has a 25% lower risk of developing breast cancer. So I'm just going to repeat that because it's really important. Women who take estrogen have a lower risk of breast cancer and they also have a lower risk of death from breast cancer, which is really important. And this is a you know, big, well-established studies that have gone on for 18 years. So we know that estrogen is really safe. So then why is all this breast cancer confusion going on? Well, a study has shown in the past that women who take a synthetic type of progesterone, which women need a type of progesterone to protect the lining of the womb from estrogen, the synthetic type, there's a small increased risk. But the risk is very small, but it's been misreported by the media. It's been misreported to women. And it's more importantly, probably, or more sadly, in my mind, has been misreported to healthcare professionals. So if you look at the magnitude of risk with the the synthetic type of progestogens with oestrogen, the risk is less than a risk a woman has if she drinks a couple of glasses of wine a night, if she's overweight, or if she does no exercise, because no exercise actually increases your risk of developing breast cancer. So a lot of menopausal women say, I'm not taking HRT because of my breast cancer risk. But then they, they're giving up exercise because they've got no energy, their muscles and joint, joints are sore and stiff. 
They're drinking a bit more alcohol often to numb their symptoms. And they're also uh, putting on weight. And we know that weight gain and obesity is at risk for breast cancer and other cancers. So their lifestyle is increasing their risk more than taking one of these types of HRT. But we now prescribe body identical hormones. So the natural progesterone, which is a body identical progesterone that's usually available on the NHS, um, doesn't have the same risk of breast cancer. The risk is even lower if indeed there is a risk at all. So a lot of women who take HRT their lifestyle improves because they don't have symptoms. They find it easier to exercise. They find it easier to eat better. They're drinking less alcohol. So their overall risk of breast cancer reduces, even if they were taking a type of HRT with a synthetic progesterone that might possibly increase the risk a little bit. So we also need to think that a woman is not just going to develop breast cancer. Women are more likely to die from heart disease than from breast cancer. There's never been a study that shows that women taking any type of HRT have an increased risk of death from breast cancer. So it's a lot more than thinking just about the risks. It's looking at the benefits. Just going back on it, you said there's, there's been no study that anybody has higher risk of breast cancer. Did you mean heart disease? No, I'm saying there's never been a study that shows that any type of HRT is associated with an increased risk of dying from breast cancer. So these women might have breast cancer slightly earlier, but the, the whole theory is that the progestogen, the synthetic progestogens, might stimulate some breast cancer cells that would be there already. So they're not initiating and starting a breast cancer. Um, So, and that's really important. So we know that a lot of women die die from other causes, but they have breast cancer as an incidental finding. As we age, we're far more likely to develop breast cancer, but it doesn't mean it's going to kill us. The most commonest cause of death, even in women who've had breast cancer, is heart disease. You've um, really said a few things that really resonate certainly with me and I know absolutely did with with, um, the people we talked to on BBC Breakfast and the wider audience. And you say it's not just women because everybody's got a mother, a sister, haven't they? A friend who's female and who at some stage will be going through this in their their life. Um, One of the things that you struck me and I'm sure people will sit up and listen is for me it was not feeling myself, not feeling comfortable in my own skin. And that is so difficult to kind of put your finger on. And and like you, I was doing, you know, I do a lot. Everybody who listens to podcasts know I do a lot of exercise. I'd get out of the bed in the morning. I'd just go, ow, everything hurt, you know, in a way that, and and again, like you, I was explaining it away. You know, I was tired because, of course, I'd get up at 3.45 in the morning. And what I did, what was most um, useful for me in the end, uh, actually, I mean, after I'd found help, was realising there are, what, there's sort of 34 common symptoms. There are probably more, aren't there? And if anybody's feeling any of these things, whether it's physical or emotional, whether it's putting your car keys in the fridge or doing something silly that you wouldn't normally do, mood swings that you wouldn't normally have, have a look at those. What I did was started with my friends looking through, through those symptoms because suddenly when, you, when you're getting up to 20 or 15, you're like, oh, hang on a second, this actually is beginning to make a bit of sense and there might be help out there. Absolutely. And I mean, I don't know if you know, we've developed a free app called Balance. And, you know, my goal is for every woman to download it early. Um, and it, it will remind you every every um, three months to do a, a menopause symptoms questionnaire. So when you're tracking your periods on it, you can track your symptoms as well. And when you start to develop some symptoms, 
that's the time to think, my goodness, you know, like Louise, if you'd had it when you were 45, when you were 46 and started getting symptoms, you think, goodness, right, this is it. And I would have yeah. loved to have had it because it would have just <laughs> given me time because everyone's busy and you're pulled in lots of directions and you're constantly not looking. We don't look after ourselves as women because we have other people to look after, whether it's at work or at home. Um, and so you just need to know and the, for me obviously as a menopause doctor the most important thing is if women have the right information early they can make the right decisions to improve their future health you know none of us want to be cooped up in a nursing home with osteoporosis and dementia and I'm not saying taking HRT will guarantee we won't but it will certainly reduce our risk. Louise it's been amazing looking back hasn't it um what has uh, started or what sort started out as a, as, as a little podcast has grown into something really special I've really enjoyed looking back yeah it's been fantastic so we're taking a break now until the um the beginning of January we've got an excellent guest she couldn't make it uh, this time around it's Judy Murray um, who is, of course, a fantastic a tennis coach and also happens to be the mother of um, a certain Andy and Jamie Murray as well. So hopefully she'll be with us um, in the new year. And then, who knows, Annie, we're kind of making plans for continuing the podcast. We never knew it would get this far. And um, if anybody's got suggestions of guests, please do get in touch with us because we definitely... Um, it's, it's like a journey, isn't it? One one week we do one person and we're like, oh, actually, why don't we talk to this person? So, And you're all, all of you who are listening, very much part of this as well so do get in touch with us tell us who your favorite guest who you'd like to hear from us as well and apart from the podcast what have you got planned for 2021 you're going to have a fixed foot yeah well i don't know so it's it's so strange isn't it because i've done all those amazing adventures and i wouldn't change anything of, of the things that i've done um and i don't know any because i just don't know how long it's going to take me to recover i have got a couple of things in the diary which is exciting. But as we know from last year, things can be taken out of the diary with it should be beyond your control. But I suppose the most important one is the London Marathon, which of course wasn't in London, uh, is in October. So fingers crossed, I've still got a place for that because I had it for this year. Um, fingers crossed, I, I'll be ready to do that one. What about you? Do you know what? It's, it's hard. It's been so hard. And I guess there are so many people like, uh, like us out there just going, Oh, how do you, how do you make any plans? Because, yeah. you know, at the moment things are, you know, if you can use the word positive, looking a bit more positive, it looks like, you know, we're kind of getting on top of the situation and it would be lovely to put something in the diary. I'm enjoying the bike and I'm just wondering if I might have, you know, a sort of bigger bike challenge out there. Maybe I'm not sure, but I think it's always, uh, important to believe that something wonderful is about to happen Louise oh I love that I love that so what just around the corner something wonderful maybe about to happen is that what we need to remember something wonderful is about to happen not maybe about to happen <laughs> I've seen, I haven't seen you since March since March in 2021 I will see you in person that will definitely yeah. happen Okay. Let's hope. Let's hope we're back on our triathlon <laughs> sofa too. Not just on Zoom calls. We'll be in studios recording podcasts. We'll be back on our triathlon sofa and the world will be well. Listen, have a wonderful, happy Christmas. I love Christmas. I can't wait. And I'll see you the other side, Annie. Happy Christmas, Big darling. Hug. Love you lots. Bye. Bye, everybody. Hi, my name's Mel Berry and I'm one of the co-founders of Her Spirit. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. These podcasts would not have been made possible without the support of the brilliant MediChecks. MediChecks offer an easy and affordable way to check your health with their simple and personalised blood tests. From hormones and nutrition to cholesterol and diabetes, there is something for everyone. 
Just go to medichex.com to find out more. Have a great day.